0: Happy Wednesday, Bengals fans. It's the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. Kevin Atch once again, happy to be with you. The season is officially done for the Cincinnati Bengals, but that does not mean that the news has stopped coming in. There's a lot to talk about with the team, whether it's about their franchise quarterbacks some coaching changes, mock drafts, free agency. We got you covered, and we will continue to have you covered throughout the offseason. I am Anthony Cazenza. Happy to have you with us. Joined by my partner in crime, John Sheeran. John, how you doing, my friend?
1: I'm doing good. We're coming off of arguably the best weekend in terms of watching football. Um what, what did you think about wildcard weekend? Did you watch it on Nick, the, the Saints game? Because that was the only way I could find that game bearable.
0: You, you know what I did, didn't? Um I I think I, I was kind of wondering I, I what that was all about. I guess there was kind of some funky stuff with that. I didn't I didn't get catch it that way. I think I watched it maybe was that the one that was also through Amazon Prime or something? Um, I have no idea. I think maybe I watched it that way. Yeah, I think maybe that's how I watched that one. I, I was kind of hit and miss. I watched a bit of the um, the Ravens-Titans game. I watched a bit of the Bills game and uh, a couple of others. I watched the Cleveland-Pittsburgh, whatever, whatever you want to call that thing. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I watched a bit of it. How about you?
1: Yeah, I I was not intrigued at watching Mitchell Trubisky take on a dead arm Drew Brees until I saw the pregame show. It was just SpongeBob highlights. So I, I tuned in, and I found like pretty enjoyable with Nate Burleson commenting that game. And it got me ready for a game I was just not expecting at all with in Pittsburgh. But that was a lot of fun to watch. I actually had to call my mom during that game, make sure that she didn't jump out of oh, the yeah, window. Oh, yeah, she's a Steelers and, fan, right?
0: Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Uh, some of the
1: program, that she's a diehard Steelers fan. So she was just like... It's whatever. This it, is this is monumentally bad, but it it, it is what it is. That's, that's what's being the Bengals fan is, I guess. She's she's experienced it for the first time it's like the '80s so What comes around goes around.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I, you know, I, I normally I'd feel sorry for the Pittsburgh Steelers, but uh, I don't really like them, and they seem to be always in the mix for a championship. So can't feel too sorry for them. It's kind of kind of pick pick the lesser of two evils in that one, right? I mean, I guess it's kind of like well. A lot of people are like, I'm pulling for Cleveland because they're in the state of Ohio. I just kind of, me not being in Ohio or from Ohio, I'm kind of like, I don't really like either of these guys. And to be honest with you, I kind of feel like that arrogance baton or whatever you want to call it was passed maybe from Big Ben to Baker Mayfield with that playoff win. I was just like, oh man, are we going to have to hear from this guy for years and years and years about this? But uh, I don't know.
1: What do you think? What was your take on The Browns there before we get to some Bengals stuff. I had an absolute blast watching that game because it seemed like throughout the first quarter quarter, it was like, okay, well, the Steelers are going to score at least sometime here. And then next thing you know, Ben throws like another interception and the Browns capitalize on that score. Like it got to a point where it was so bad that like not not even I like thought that the Steelers were going to come back and win that game. Like they they were making an effort to do so because of course they would, they would march their way back in some capacity, but it was, it was so comically out of reach that I just watched it with a smile, watching the Steelers just crumble right in front of everybody's eyes, and just it just seemed like so obviously that that was the end of whatever this era of Steelers football is, and now they're in a they're in a weird spot. The Browns are going to take on the, the 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 Kings of the NFL and the Chiefs, and what could be an interesting game. And I think it was overall productive week.
0: Yep, here's here's an interesting comment from Patrick M. here in our live didn't Baker already have that arrogance? Well, yes. Yes, he did. But um, I I guess it just kind of grew with the the playoff win. That's where I was like, oh, gosh. But hey, Pittsburgh got bounced. Uh, Really good weekend for the AFC North and and definitely in the postseason. But not only a good weekend for the AFC North, John, but um, that were in the postseason, the teams that were in the postseason. But also, the Cincinnati Bengals, who were sitting at home, because even though they were sitting at home, they weren't really sitting around doing nothing. They were making some moves. They got rid of Jim Turner, Nick Eason, and a couple of other assistant. Uh, Bob Bicknell left, uh, wide receivers coach, so they're looking to fill some vacancies. They filled a couple. They interviewed Hank Fraley for the, for the job. We talked about that last week, Joe, and then this right after, of course, that's how it always happens, right after. We take the air. There's, like, big news the very next day. So um, the Bengals bring back, we'll start here, Frank Pollock. And not only do they bring him back for the offensive line coach position, John, it's the run game coordinator designation that also gets added to his position and to his resume now with the Bengals in his second stint. Your overall thoughts and, and feelings when you heard the news that Frank Pollock – because when we, when we took the air last week, we were like, yeah, we don't think that reunion's coming. And all of a sudden, lo and behold, it happened
1: <laughs> yeah we didn't we didn't know or we didn't think it was going to happen because i guess it just speaks to the overall just muddy like cloudiness of how that initial relationship kind of ended back in 2019 when taylor came in but it was just as simple as taylor wanted the guy that he knew for a long time in turner and it was a mutual parting of ways with pollock who knew he was going to have opportunities elsewhere he went to new york new york rid their coaching staff and he was the best available candidate for the job back here. And there was no hard feelings. Obviously the Bengals have respect for who he is as an, as an esteemed and accredited assistant. And I, I think he appreciated that um, just praise that he has received from this front office, just the respect that he has from them. And it just happened to be a productive meeting with Zach and the front office again, and they didn't let him leave Uh the interview without a job. And that's essentially how it happened. They only interviewed two other guys, one of them being Hank Fraley. The other one being Philip Rauscher, I think is his name, the assistant offensive line coach for the Minnesota Vikings. So it, I mean, they had their eyes set on him. He was the top target. He was obviously the best one available. That wasn't Jim Callahan. who's obviously not available in any way, shape or form. So it was the best hire. It was just not expected because we just didn't know how that relationship kind of ended, but we, we, we know it was amicable and, you know, he's back for better or worse
0: I, you know the thing that's that stuck out to me with this hire not not only was I kind of wrong in my own little gut feeling about you know maybe there was something there with Frank Pollock seeing this young kid come in and just the impression of you know young young kid comes in I, I just don't like the direction of what the team is or maybe there was just kind of a disconnect like you said. maybe Zach Taylor kind of said, you know, I respect you, Frank, but I'm bringing in my, my own guy um, in, in Jim Turner. But the thing that stuck out to me, John was the run game coordinator part, because when you look back at how, and still to this day, when you look at the McVay coaching model with the Rams and how his staff is, is constructed, they have a pass game coordinator. They have a run game coordinator when Zach Taylor interviewed for this job with the Cincinnati Bengals. The Bengals also interviewed a colleague of his with the Rams and Shane Waldron, who was at the time the passing game coordinator for the LA Rams. And so the, you know, while Zach brought over a lot of items and ideas from the LA Rams and the McVay model, um, offensive system, a lot of similarity thing. The one thing he didn't, bring over was the run game coordinator and the passing game coordinator one of the things I always argued with that was the fact that he didn't have kind of those coaches whatever those specific responsibilities are it's a little vague but the thing I argued is when he's a first-time head coach he's calling the plays and he's doing a lot of when we talked with Tim McGee but I keep going back to this you know, we we know that the Bengals head coach have a little bit head coaches have a little bit more on their plate than most other head coaches around the league. You know, I, I guess it's kind of like why why wouldn't you have those kind of quote unquote crutches in place in having a run coordinator and passing game coordinator? So I don't know exactly what that looks like, but to me, I think that not only do I respect Frank Pollock as an offensive line coach? I think this run game coordinator thing should be very helpful to Zach Taylor in the, in his offense.
1: So yeah, so I think it's the clarity that is the real like game changer here because you know we talked about the coaching staff and the vagueness of their individual responsibilities, especially with the assistants. Like we didn't know what what specific responsibilities that Anna Rumo does compared to Al Golden or what what like Brian Callahan does as the offense coordinator when Zach is calling the plays. So, I mean, like Pollock said it in his introductory press conference, like this is this is just what the offensive line coach does, and it's what he did back in 2018 when he had that success, and when the Bengals had that success running the football. So, it's it should be just assumed like the offensive the offensive line coach has responsibilities of scheming up the run game and having these game week to week responsibilities of game planning for it. But it's just nice to, I guess, see that label next to it and, and give it a sense of clarity, which is new, like you said for the staff.
0: Yeah, had a had a couple of difficulties, uh, technical difficulties. There, we apologize. I think uh, I also was a little visually weird. Now you get to see all my beautiful face and everything in all of its clarity and all of its glory. There, so I apologize for those tuning in live for the couple of issues there. But I think we're I think we're back on track now. Um, yeah, you know, I, I just I, I I think the thing that speaks volumes to is the the supposed reactions um, by by the players and and whatnot. You know, Joe Burrow, and we'll talk about his media appearance, uh, really his first major one, at least with the Cincinnati media, since, um, you know, he's back at Paul Brown State and that sort of thing. We'll talk about that in a minute. But, um, you know, he mentioned in his press conference on Tuesday that Joe Mixon called him and just was absolutely fired up. Joe Mixon went to Twitter, talked about it. I think the offensive lineman uh, talked about it. And it really not only speaks volumes, John, to – Frank Pollock, the coach, for some of these guys that were here, but also Jim Turner, the coach, and uh, just just the move that needed to be made there. Um, I, I know you've got some thoughts there. I would love to hear about that. And also, you've put some stuff out, too, about the 2018 group that Pollock coached. Um, you put some stuff out on Twitter that I found pretty interesting. You know, he, he performed pretty well with really a, a poor unit at that point. Hasn't gotten much better since, but, um, you know, I thought that was interesting. Some of the data you put out there, too.
1: Yeah, like we, neither of us know Jim Turner personally, but we can just you know read between the lines, recognize that he just was never qualified for it, and there's just too much, too much baggage that comes with him to really identify or claim that he's just a quality individual in the first place. So, I, like we, we, like I, with the puppets of DH Sports, we talked to Fred Johnson. And Billy Price back in the offseason, we asked them about Jim Turner, and you know, they had nothing but nice things to say about him. They they basically told us what you know other Bengals media have told everyone else about Jim Turner. That he's he's just got a, a really specific and unique coaching style, and it just doesn't translate, obviously, when you're dealing with guys who are on a losing team and just haven't developed the way that they want to, and just it just doesn't work. And that's I guess how that relationship kind of just mutually parted ways, where it's just a an unsuccessful partnership with Zach Zach and and Turner with this specific offensive line and I guess they just both knew it was time but like you said you know you have Billy Price and Joe Mixon obviously you know publicly you know praising the move and I'm sure a lot of the the rest of the offensive line they've heard you know what happened back in 2018 how much better it was and along with Price you had Alex Redman Bobby and Trey Hopkins also on that 2018 team and that is the aspect that causes a slight concern with me because i didn't i didn't think about this obviously when they were going through this process because i didn't think that pollock was going to go back but this is an offensive line coach that has ties with certain members of this offensive line that were part of that 2018 unit and while they had success running the ball they were still a bottom 10 team in terms of pass protection and that is the number one emphasis or it should be the number one emphasis for this offseason so it's, it's it wasn't something that i thought about because you know we all just assume that bobby hart is out the door alex redmond could, you know, not going to be brought back. Billy Price to be on the bench until something drastic happens. But like there are connections with Pollock and some of the guys that he brought in in 2018. And I, I guess the the one slight reservation why I guess it's like a 95 percent confidence with this hire. The reason why it's not 100 is that how much change now are we actually expecting with this offense line? Because based, based on everything that's been said about Pollock after he was hired, you know, he was hired for his his ability to implement scheme and teach techniques simultaneously in ways that will definitely help develop the players currently on the roster. And the way that it's phrased, it almost just sounds like he's been hired to make the best out of the current depth chart. And I, I, I bet they realize that they can't completely, entirely overhaul the offensive line because they just don't have the resources to do that in this specific offseason. But it, I, Anthony, I'm just a little, a little concerned that they're going to be a little bit more complacent about this offense line just because they're bringing back the coach that helped, you know, coach these guys back in 2018.
0: That's a fantastic point. That's a fantastic point. And there's a lot of great points on the resume for Frank Pollock, but a few, yeah, buts, right. I mean, like you can look at, you know, he he had a depleted unit a not, not a very talent rich unit in 2018. And it, not only did he not have a starting quarterback that was a viable threat towards the end of the year, he also didn't have the star wide receiver in A.J. Green towards the end of that year. Yet Joe Mixon was one of the the best players in all of the NFL towards the last, what, six games of that season. He was insane. Um, and that's with Jeff Driscoll at quarterback. But like you said, does that mean he's going to go back to the familiar well, the the supposed, you know, the, the, the very familiar Bengals, the devil you know approach? right? As opposed to the devils you, you don't know. And are they going to be that, are they going to exhibit that, in uh, that mindset, that arrogant mindset of we're fine. We got this. Now that we got this coach in house, we've, we can, we can do that. And they cannot afford with Joe Burrow, the injury he suffered and all of that. They, they simply cannot afford not to commit massive resources, whether it's free agency or high picks in the draft or both, they, they simply cannot um, just not, not do that. They, they need to invest heavily in the offensive line. So is it, he's, he's going, he's going to be tasked with, like you said, rehabilitating the current guys on the on the team and and other retreads or journeymen that they bring in or are they're they gonna are they gonna give him a couple of stars i don't know it may be a little bit of both um but I, all in all i think we can agree that this is a positive step for the team
1: absolutely and and I, I, like at the end of the day the the majority of what the offense line is now it's probably they're probably gonna be on the roster in some way shape or form maybe not as starters. But as guys, they're going to be counting on potentially as emergency deaf guys. You know, they're not, you know, Hakeem Energy, Fred Johnson, Michael Jordan. They were all brought in by Jim Turner in the last couple of years. And I don't think all three of those guys are, are going to be off the roster. I think you're going to see at least two of them be brought back as reserves. But I think they liked Pollock because they liked him to develop these guys and to maximize their potential in ways that Jim Turner also couldn't. And when referencing the 20, 2018 guys, again, there's only four and one of them is a decent player in Trey Hopkins already. So it's really just about what are they going to do with Hart? Are they actually going to move on from him? Are they going to recognize that he's just not a starter and just come to that realization and, and, and cut ties with him? You know, there, there's the thing with Alex Redman. He's just a, a, a body if you need him, but he just shouldn't be counted on to be started in, in any scenario. And then there's Price, whose value went up exponentially when Trey Hopkins went down with the torn ACL. He might be the Week One starter at this rate because he was drafted by Pollock in in 2018. So it, it's I guess it's a little bit of both. You know, you want a guy obviously that is able to teach technique for guys who still need to be developed. But as Willie Anderson has often said, offense line coaches don't really have that much time to do that during the season. They need to be preparing for every week, and they need to be implementing and just reinforcing the scheme on these guys. And Pollock has a way of doing that. That's a lot more effective than most offensive line coaches in the NFL, which is what has made him an attractive piece like this. But I, I there's also a difference between the 2018 plan and the 2019 plan where 2018, they traded for Cordy Glenn. They drafted Billy Price in the first round. They brought in hard as a low, low cost option. Yeah. And he, he ended up winning the competition. So there was a lot of turnover in Pollock's first off op- and Pollock's first and only season coaching the offensive line. And in 2019, the biggest mistake was just that that hastily put together staff did a terrible job of evaluating the roster at that point and then was just negligent along the offensive line. So in 2018, they were aggressive. They just didn't invest in the right players. In 2019, they they just weren't aggressive at all and obviously didn't invest in the right players again. So it has to be just neither of those two things. You have to be aggressive, but you also have to recognize what you have and recognize what you need. And Pollock kind of alludes to that. Like they're in the self-evaluation process right now. They're assessing the roster. They're assessing what they have right now and what they still need. And they need to keep going on the process and realize that need actual investment here.
0: Yeah. And you know, I looked, I looked back at if before he came to Cincinnati, Frank Pollock was in Dallas. And at the, at the time, especially in the early years of his tenure, they had an outstanding offensive line with Travis Frederick, Zach Martin, Tyron Smith, arguably the best line in, in football and he got some credit for that but while he was there they didn't they didn't make those invest those investments on the offensive line were made in the years preceding his takeover as offensive line coach so it's kind of like well i mean Dallas gave him a lot of assets to work with but at the same time they were they were invested in before he got there, so it's kind of like, well, does that really tell you anything about what the Bengals may do? I don't know, um, but you know, hopefully they they move forward and and do some positive things. There are a couple of questions before we kind of get to a couple of other li- uh, little news and notes pieces. Chad Hellier brings up an interesting stat, John, during Pollock's tenure as OL coach, uh, PFF ranked them twenty seventh and twenty eighth for twenty seven and twenty eighteen. Is this a cause for concern? I I attribute that more to the lack of talent. I don't know about you, but that's um, I, I, I didn't, I don't know how accurate that is. I didn't do the research, but he did. Um, Chad did bring that up, but, um, what, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah. So Pollock was only here for 2018. Right. 2017 was Paul Alexander's last season. That included right. Cedric Abwehi and Jake Fisher starting. So that can be thrown out the window, but yeah, like 2018, it was, it was positive. And from a, from a run blocking standpoint, but Andy Dalton was second in the NFL that year in like quickest time to throw only yep. behind Ben Roethlisberger and they were still 24th in pass blocking grade and 24th in pass blocking efficiency. And that was because you had Bobby Hart and Alex Redmond and Billy Price for the most of the season out there starting at those critical positions. So, I mean, th- those guys, they were those caliber players back then and they remain those caliber players now. So they have to recognize that they can do a lot better and they need to do better because if they don't, then they're just setting Pollock up for failure again. So the Bengals,
0: uh, aside from... Bringing in Frank Pollock as their offensive line coach and run game coordinator. The the Bengals also bring in Troy Walters, uh, or they promote him rather. He was assistant, the assistant wide receivers coach, promote him to wide receivers coach to replace Bicknell. Um, you know, it's, I definitely remember him as a player. Uh, I don't know exactly what this means. I, I assume it's probably pretty promising because of the development of T. Higgins last year. Tyler Boyd continued to be a very viable threat. But, uh, you know, any any thoughts on your end when you got the news that Troy Walters was going to be the Bengals new wide receiver coach?
1: So, yeah, he was hired last season and he was hired because he basically worked with uh, Zach Taylor before he was a receivers coach in 2011 with Texas A&M, which was, I think, the first year that Taylor was on the Texas A&M staff. And also he worked uh, with Scott Frost's staff at Nebraska, which is obviously Zach Taylor's alma mater. So he was a Zach Taylor hire last season. And the fact that he was promoted to Bob McNeil's position this offseason, I think still kind of tells you that Zach Taylor is indeed making these decisions. And the Bengals front office continues to place trust in him, building these, building his staff and making these decisions. That was my biggest real takeaway with the hire, because I mean, that's still a pretty important position in your coaching staff, especially with a receivers group. That's probably going to look a little bit different in 2021. You're, no longer going to have AJ Green. You might move on from, from Alex Erickson. John Ross is obviously out the door. So there's going to be new contributors on that in that position group, and obviously they're going to have direct correlation to the success of Joe Burrow. So I think it speaks a lot to the faith that they have in Walters as an up and coming coach. But also, you know, he was a Taylor hire because of the connections that he had with Taylor, and the fact that he yeah. gets promoted, I think confirms they still have faith in Taylor making these decisions.
0: Yeah, I'm fine with it at least for the time being, I I feel like there's, you know, like you said, there's some comfortability there, probably some familiarity with the scheme that that Zach Taylor's running and the Bengals may bring in a couple. It may be one free agent and some draft picks or vice versa, Um, but they're going and maybe even re-signing some of these guys. I've said it ad nauseum that they've got four impending free agents in that position group alone, this year, so they're going to need to restock the cabinet. Whether it's with some of their own guys, you heard Darren Simmons gush about Alex Erickson recently and how he wants to have Alex Erickson back. I would assume, you know, there's no. I think Alex Erickson likes Cincinnati, so I would assume if if there's a, a reasonable deal on the table, Erickson's going to be back. But you still have AJ Green, John Ross, Mike Thomas looking to enter free agency. I don't know that any of those three will be brought back. So now, you know, you may have to look, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit about this. You may have to look at one of the high picks in the draft once again. Um, and you have to hope that Walters is up to the task for grooming some of these guys.
1: Yeah, and it kind of goes with the with the next piece of news. Uh, the Bengals do not have a defensive line coach just yet, but there was a report from all Bengals that former defensive and Andre Carter was interviewing for the position. Um, I don't really remember him playing that much in the, in the 2000s. I know he, I think he made a Pro Bowl like towards the later portion of his career. But he is a four or five year assistant coach in the NFL. He got to start with uh, the Bill Walsh Diversity Coaching Fellowship with the 49ers back in 2016. Then he spent a couple years with the Dolphins in 2017, 2018. 2017 is when he was in, on the same staff that Lou Anaruma was when he was the defensive backs coach for the Dolphins and then he spent the last two years with the New York Jets as the defensive line coach Anthony I I I, we don't really know a lot about assistant coaches especially when they come on to a new staff but every time we like research them and we go on like a team website I I always love seeing how like (laughs) like their former teams kind of like credit them for their success like like just going on Andre Carter's page like he was credited for Cameron Wake posting like 17 sacks in 2 seasons like Andre Carter had anything to do with a great defensive end and Cameron Wake producing that much under his tutelage like we, we don't know a lot about what these guys actually do unless players ex- expand upon that in like interviews with the media but i, I think it is nice that for a productive player that's becoming you know still going on, growing on his path as a coach to be you know joining the staff that definitely needs as many quality assistants as possible. And, and you know, he coached with Pollock, I guess for the past couple years. So maybe Pollock put in a good word for him as well.
0: Yeah. And I think the jets in 2019, I know they were an absolute dumpster fire this year and really just in general under Adam Gase. And when you hear jets assistant coach, you go, Oh, huh, really? But <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, I think in 2019, the jets defensive line was one of the, one of the better units in the league in terms of productivity um, he was tasked also with the development of Quinn and Williams. It was a slow development, but I think towards the end of this season, you started to see some progress from Quinn and Williams. And uh, I, I think that was that was something that you know was kind of a feather in his cap. But overall, um, you know, I think just you know, Jets cleaned house, so nobody was really safe. Um, but I, you know, I wouldn't mind the hire. A very experienced player, also played with the Patriots. So maybe if you want to really dive in and put on your tinfoil hat, you can say maybe he's got a little element of the Patriot way that he brings to the Bengals. But um, you know, I, I I would be fine with it. And a long time guy. He's been around the NFL for a long time, both as a player and a coach. Productive guy as a player, and got some production in limited years for, at, from a coaching standpoint. So. I, I would be fine with this I, I would also be fine if the bengals also expand the the net a little bit but i i wouldn't have a problem with this as we sit here right now
1: yeah and you have to remember like jim Turner was the scapegoat for the offensive issues Nick Easton the defense line coach was became the scapegoat for the, for the defense because lunana rumo and his secondary staff they're, they're staying on and the fact that the pass rush was as inept as it was that all fell on Easton. So this is a pretty important hire as well. You know, if Carter can have an impact on getting the most out of Sam Hubbard you know, making sure that DJ reader remains a, a top player at his position, if they bring back Carl Lawson, making sure that he maintains his level, like that's going to be important to make, to make sure that the defense kind of stays afloat and keeps the offensive games.
0: Yeah. Andre Carter was, a guy who, you know, he's, he's a pass rusher. He's kind of a versatile guy. And I, I would assume that the big emphasis on uh, with him to come onto this staff would be to, to bolster the pass rush and at least gain some consistency there. I know the Bengals had some attrition because of injury and all that kind of stuff, but I, I, I would assume his, his number one priority has to has to be up front to bolster the pass rush because there were times this year where it was, non-existent, and when you still have Lou Anarumo as your defensive coordinator, you got to hope that an assistant coach coming in will help that facet to the defense.
1: Yep. Totally agree.
0: We're going to Talk about Joe Burrow for one second, and then we're going to introduce a new segment on the program. State Your Case is what it's called. We'll we'll, we'll talk about that in a second. Then we're going to do our first mock draft of the offseason. We'll get to that in just a second. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. He's John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Cazenza. Happy to have all of you with us here in the dog days of the offseason, but there's still a lot to talk about as we, as we go forward here. John, Joe Burrow made his triumphant return to Paul Brown Stadium on Tuesday, early Tuesday, may may have still been on California time, but uh, pulled up in a Porsche and no crutches, no knee brace, none of that. And in the cold Cincinnati weather, he's wearing, rocking the athletic shorts still, um, just Joe cool. Had a lot to say. I, I... continue to be impressed with this kid but I guess some of the major takeaways was that yeah he's still really really uh early in the rehab process but he still feels that he is good to go or will be fine to go by the time the season starts and like I said earlier he seems to be pretty excited about the Frank Pollock hire as do a lot of his teammates he mentioned that in in the uh the media roundtable
1: yeah, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but I was curious what, what car that was. Was that a confirmed Porsche or is that just what <laughs> it looked like was? it
0: to me. It looked like it to yeah. me when he when he rolled up. It was one of those uh, cause Porsche started making the four door four door thing. So it looked like a, a neat little Porsche to me. I'd have to look up the specific model. It was just such a brief little but it was it was so just I don't know. It just was QB one, you
1: know? Yeah. Uh it I, I thought it was a lot different watching just how you handle the questions compared to I guess the con coward interview where he was a little bit more, I don't want to honestly open. I think he was open in both ones, but he just seemed a little bit more like focused in this one, making sure that he said the right things in front of the Bengals media for the first time since his injury. Um, But it it was just so clearly it's it's just the same old Joe. He just handles it with just a suave confidence and just, absolute focus on his one goal right now which is back in week one and he was asked you know do you think based on you know how you're recovering and, and you know the pace of your recovering is is preseason the possibility you just like turn it down immediately like no if i'm gonna if i'm gonna play at all before the season going to be in a structured and controlled practice environment week one is the goal and week one is the best case scenario because that's exactly like you said nine months uh, out from his initial injury but according to his doctors he's about a month ahead of what, of what he was supposed to be in this process. And according to him, all the, all the bad stuff, all the, the worst parts passed him. And he's at 15% right now. And by February, he should be, I guess, throwing for the first time and doing some you know t- type of cardio work and starting to put some pressure on that leg aside from just walking around. So nothing but good vibes from him. And he, he handled it like, like the head of a corporation, which is what I think Paul Daniel Jr. Said on the athletic podcast, which is so true because he's, he's the face of a, multi-million dollar franchise and the face, face of a lot of hope in this nation or in this area
0: yep and i'm i'm pull. you know what you had me you had me wondering john so I, i'm just gonna pull this up real quick uh i believe this was the car if you can see this i believe this was the car right here because it's got the four doors that might have been the car that he was rocking right there in the in the black or the gray anyway doesn't even really matter i guess but Look, it it's, it's still really early in the process. He's got a long way to go. He did say he's rehabbing with guys like, you know, he's kind of hanging out a little bit with guys who are rehabbing, like CJ Uzama and um, Trey Hopkins was another one he mentioned there. And, you know, he just knows how to handle the media. He kind of said it's – the one thing I can just – I, if, if I could kind of encapsulate Joe burrow and the way he handles people the way he handles interviews and the way that he carries himself it's just kind of three simple words I've got this it's just it's just kind of like I've got this it just what, what you know what why are you you know don't even bother with the concerns don't even bother I've got it I've got it that's the that's the way he seems to carry himself to me and I guess from qb1 that's what you want
1: yeah I, I like we saw this before the national championship we a year ago to this day when we're recording was the national championship and he was interviewed like you know what what does this picture look like it was a picture of him and he was like 10 years old he's like looks like a national champion you know mm-hmm. it's just it's, he's calm cool and collected but it, it, it's an earned confidence and that's the same thing that we've been saying for the past year when talking about this kid and you know obviously this wasn't in the plans but he's going to handle it like anything else there's there's one goal, there's one target and he's going to do everything as power to make sure that that happens. And based on everything so far, I don't think anybody would do good betting against him.
0: That is a very good point. And, uh, you know, look again, with the, with the, Rehab and all of that, it's still going to be a slow, kind of arduous thing. He even said how miserable the first couple of weeks were where he kind of had to be super reliant upon basically everybody um, to to do some of the, the mundane things in life that I guess you kind of take advantage of when you're not injured and have this kind of thing. But it's going to be an arduous thing for him. It's going to be a long haul for him. But, it, you know, it sounds like he's on a good pace. I think he said he's going to be throwing, um, he's going to be kind of doing more and throwing about 12, 10 to 12 weeks out from the surgery. So we can probably expect to see something on that front, but it's going to be a slow thing. But uh, as of, as we sit here this early slash middle of January, it sounds like he's on a good pace to start the season um, in, in 21. Um, but it's going to be, I think they're going to for sure ease him into it, John, <laughs> to say the yeah. least.
1: But also I think it's, it's an interesting point because um, you mentioned that he's going through this process with Uzoma and Hopkins. Uh, Uzoma has been like tabbed as a potential salary cap casualty. And I just don't think that's really realistic because not only the connection that they started to brew when Uzoma was healthy, but the fact that they're going through this together and how Uzoma is revered as like a locker room guy. And now they're going to be, you know, bonding even more so during this process. I think it, it only confirms that Uzoma is coming back. Not, not that it was ever in question. But just because that has started like its own little discourse, like maybe Uzoma is a cap casualty because this is the last year of his deal. and He's coming off injury. I think like this only establishes and confirms that he's for sure coming back.
0: I I think so, too. And I'm seeing a lot of, you know, a lot of comments in the live chats about what about Kyle Pitts? What about Kyle Pitts? I mean, there still may be a fit for him, even with sample and Uzoma on the roster Usama's uzama's set to be a free agent after this season i believe um mm-hmm. so you know i mean there's even if you have to ease pits in um i mean there, there may be some some room there but i mean overall i think he's a very well-liked guy and well-respected guy in that locker room like you said and you know he's kind of, he's been pretty productive when he's healthy and out there. Um, so, and, and he's a very athletic, big target. So, I mean, as a guy that, that has some value, I don't think he's a salary cap casualty. I, a lot of people are saying geo. I don't know that I see geo, especially based on the value that he presented to this team. I don't know that I see him being a cap casualty, even with the mixing contract. I am some yeah. people are asking about that. I don't know that I see that one either, but you know, I, I think where they're going to, and the Bengals don't usually like to, again, like to cut, valued veteran contracts early they don't like to eat dead money they don't like to admit a bad contract um so i i don't think that i think they're going to try and save money you know on the maybe the geno atkins one i think that's probably where they're going to try and save some money aj green not resigning him is going to save them some money for the for the next year so i think that's maybe more where where they're looking i don't think they're going to slice and dice a lot of areas personally i don't know about you
1: robert hart cough cough
0: yeah well yeah well that that's another one that's another (laughs) one yeah yeah we're gonna get to a new segment called state your case in just a second before we do want to remind you to get the show how you can join us live if you're able to on wednesday nights we love having all the live chat interaction whether it's on cincy jungles facebook page the youtube channel or now on our twitter account we appreciate all the interaction and for those of you tuning live we we greatly appreciate that if you're unable to join us live, whether it's for the Wednesday deep dive analysis show, whether it's for listener questions live, whether it's for the the news portion on Monday that we start your week with, you can get the show on your favorite audio streaming platform, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, the Google podcast platform, iHeartRadio, all that stuff. Check it out. Leave us a review. We appreciate the support. And uh, we've got a lot coming to you this year for sure.
1: So... During the season, uh, this segment is usually stat of the week, which was conjured up by Anthony and he just happened to come up with another one for the off season. (laughs) And because it is the off season, it's time to get into some topical stuff. We're going to start our off season segment called state your case, which is essentially one of us coming up with a relatively spicy hot topic and defending it and getting some feedback from some of you guys. So I'm going to start it off for this week. Um, Offensive line for agency has obviously gotten a lot of buzz and conversation. And the one guy that I think a lot of people have really been married to is Joe Tooney. And I've been thinking about this for a couple of weeks, and I'm going to put it up in an article sometime before free agency. But I I don't understand why Tooney being looked at in the way that I think Brandon Scherf should be looked at. And I say this for a couple of reasons. For, for starters, with Scherf coming from an offensive line that was coached by Bill Callahan, there, there is – not only the connection with Brian Callahan, who should know something about Scherf from his dad coaching it, but also Pollock. You know, Pollock has said that he, you know, be working with Callahan, that he's taken a lot of what he's learned from coaching under him. And obviously the schemes are very similar. So from schematics, I think Scherf fits so much more better than Tooney, even though Tooney's regarded as a versatile guy. But also the fact that Scherf, you know, even when he was the first team all pro this season, he was the best right guard in the NFL in 2020, he's still not being regarded as as a top target for the Bengals for some reason. Like he has dealt with injuries in the past, and that may or may not affect how much he gets on the open market, which might put the Bengals more in play compared to a guy like tooney who might reset the market for guards. But also, Anthony, uh, am I the only one who just doesn't really want to deal with a Patriots free agent? Like aside from Chandler Jones, a lot of these guys that come from the Patriots, they just end up not being as good. Outside New England, it's not an indictment on Tooney, who is a local guy. He's from Dayton. His parents live in Dayton. That's where a lot of people are making the connections, especially with the local ties. But it, it just seems like for that much money going into an offensive lineman who is still in the prime of his career, but is going to be closer to 30 now, it just seems like a risk that I, I, I've i already seen this play out. I've seen, pay, I've seen former Patriots go to other teams for big contracts and not perform at the level that they play with New England. It just doesn't seem like Tooney will be that much different. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm off base with that.
0: No, I, it's it's a it's a good take. Look, I I think any Bengals fan, if the Bengals were to sign either Joe Tooney or Brandon Scherf, I don't I don't think both are on the table to sign both folks. I, I really don't. But if they were to sign one of them, I think we'd all be pretty ecstatic, right? I mean, I I think we'd be pretty excited about that move. Now, that being said there are risks associated with each of these guys. And you mentioned with, let's, let's start, let's start with what you kind of harped on here. And I've said this for a while as well. The, when a guy leaves the quote unquote Patriot way, and when they, when they go and they, they hit the free agent market and they go to a team maybe with a lesser amount of success, which is most of the teams, the NFL comparative to the Patriots, especially recently when they go to a team, I mean, remember Randy Moss, when he, Randy Moss with the Raiders and then Randy Moss with the Patriots was two completely different players. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of people were like, Randy Moss is done when he was with then Oakland. Um, he goes to new England. Lo and behold, he's the, the same Randy Moss. He was basically as a, as a rookie with, with Minnesota. So, there's there is something in that that special sauce, if you will, with New England. And when you when they draft and develop a guy, and they they say, "Okay, bye, we're not going to pay you now. We can do this again." And someone else takes that that big price tag from them. It doesn't often. I mean, there there are a lot of examples where it does not work out. There are a lot of examples. Um, I, I think. Nate's Nate Solder right he was a guy that was supposed to be a, an absolute stud and he's he's since I think moved to signed a mega contract with uh, the Giants right mm-hmm. um, and all of a sudden who's who's really talking about Nate Solder I don't have I don't have his grades or whatever in front of me but um, you know I, I think there was a little bit of struggles he's, he's still with them and, and you know playing on their offensive line but the point is that they're like you said there are more examples of free agency issues guys leaving the Patriots after they draft and develop them rather than, um, you know, a lot of successful stories. Now, the thing is, when you when you transition from Tooney to Scherf and that argument, John, Tooney's a year, a, basically a full year younger um, than, than Brandon Scherf. And to uh, DJ's point in our live YouTube chat, Tooney's never missed a game. Absolutely durable. And this is a team that needs healthy, productive players on the offensive line. Brandon Scherf has had some injury issues, and he's older. To me, local guy, productive. I'll, I'll roll the dice with the leaving the Patriot way for a younger guy and a guy who's proven to be more healthy. And then maybe you move Xavier Suafilo or you draft another guy for right guard there, and you plug and play Joe Tooney. Let's go. Go forward there. That's that's my argument with with this. I, I think I would rather based on those elements have a Joe Tooney, maybe even pay a little bit more Joe Tooney
1: than Brandon Scherf. Yeah, in regards to Nate Solder, he had like two very underwhelming seasons with the Giants. He opted out this season with COVID and right. they actually they and they drafted Andrew Thomas to start a left tackle this season anyway. So like yeah, th- that was just that was one example. Yeah, and, and, and I think for the most like if the Bengals sign Tooney, I don't think anyone's going to be disappointed because we just know he's going to be just good, and that's just miles better than what the Bengals currently have. It and I think it also, but the argument should be coming back to value because either these guys are going to cost a pretty penny, and it's going to be the biggest contract that the Bengals would ever sign an offensive lineman, and there's just inherent risk with that in general. So yes, there's there's no risk, I guess, before the season starts that Tooney will suffer an injury or. Will have these nagging injuries to deal with, like Scherf has dealt with for the past couple of seasons. But also, I, I think with what the Bengals have right now, they have a they have a couple of left guards and they have no right guards. Like they yeah. can just they can just force Suafele or Spain at right guard, but neither guy has proven that they can play at, a high, at even a decent level at that spot. So I think if they want to maximize the personnel they have right now, they have both of those guys just battle out of left guard. I guess you can involve Michael Jordan in that as well and then get a true right guard. And obviously, Tooney has never played right guard, and Scherf has made a career as a pro bowler, now an all-pro as a right guard. So so the fit schematically makes sense. And all, and also, I think, like last season when they went out and signed DJ Reader, they had this connection with Eason, who knew him going back to, to his Clemson days. And I, and I think that's going to matter with, obviously, Brian Callahan knowing you know, what Scherf did in Washington under his dad, and the fact that Pollock knows that he... Has been, you know, raised and developed under a, a very similar wide scheme, a wide zone scheme. I think that comfort level is, is going to matter, and I guess maximize whatever perceived value that the Bengals will have on Shurf, because regardless of, of anything, they're going to be just inheriting risk if when signing either of these guys. It just seems to me that like Shurf might be the guy that they're going, they're just going to be more comfortable with based on what they already know. And
0: that's the big key with reagency, agency John. That is the big key And in terms of schematic fit. The Bengals need to find if, if they feel that Scherf is a better fit for what they want to do up front, it's a better fit for Frank Pollock and his run game co- coordination that he's going to be spearheading and that he will, he will bring Joe Mixon back uh, to, to a highly productive level, all of that that's the way you got to go even if there's more risk with injury and a little bit more in age and that sort of thing you have to find players that schematically work for you better in free agency you know you can you can you can create an all-star team with a lot of different players but when you start putting them in a scheme that doesn't play to their strengths when you start saying oh you know well we, we, can, we can move this guy from left guard to right guard or this guy from left tackle to right tackle. Go look at a tweet from, by the way, Mark Schlereth, the guy who won a couple of Super Bowls with the Denver Broncos and played a long time in the league about how, how he equated moving a guy from left to right or vice versa on the offensive line. It has something to do with using the bathroom with your non-dominant hand. And it was it was a little comical. It's a little kind of... I'm not going to share the exact phrase, but you kind of get my gist. Go check it out on Twitter. It was pretty funny. But a good point. I mean, you got you can't this the Cincinnati Bengals, if they're going to protect Joe Burrow, get the run game going, find some balance on offense, they cannot put square pegs and round holes anymore. They gotta fit they gotta get guys that fit them schematically and play their natural positions.
1: That's exactly right. And I think once they go through what they have right now, they're gonna realize that their biggest holes are at right guard and right tackle. And they need to formulate a, an open-minded and progressive plan about how to fill those holes, because right now they don't have the guys that can do it.
0: Yep. Well, that was a fun State Your Case. That was a, the fun fun debut of State Your Case and a, a good one by attorney John Sheeran stating his case, pleading, pleading his case. I like it. We'll continue this, though. It's fun. There's a lot of talking points based on who the Bengals should draft at number five, if the draft falls a certain way, Which free agents they should pursue, what they should do with some of the players on the roster, all that kind of stuff. We're going to be doing this more. It's it's a it's a fun one while adding in some of our other classic segments. So good job, John. Appreciate that. Let's should we do we need to get to our our first mock draft of the offseason? We we tried this a couple of times last year, and I don't know how we I I have to go back and see exactly who we who we picked. Do you remember who some of the guys, I mean, I I know we picked Burrow and basically every single one. Do you remember Were we, were we at all accurate?
1: I don't think any, either of us picked Higgins. I don't think either of us picked Wilson. Uh, Maybe there's a Davis Gaither in there somewhere, but I think that might've been it.
0: I think you're right. I think you're right. So we are going to use, we're only going because we have to do further study. We're not going to, and we're getting a little short on time too, but we're, we're going to only do basically day one and day two of the draft um, right now with a simulator. So the first three rounds of the draft, I believe, we're going to use Pro Football Network, their mock draft simulator. We're going to stream that for you for you folks. Um, and so you can see what we're doing here. I believe they have the option to... to trade and all that kind of stuff by the way tyler the saying he got the first four rounds right i'd like to see that mock draft tyler that's that's yeah i don't believe that (laughs) i'd like to see that though that's impressive if so um so we're gonna we're gonna share this here we're gonna do the first three rounds of the cincinnati Bengals. and as we go on we'll do we'll do the seven rounds we'll do all that kind of stuff uh and so three rounds you ready john
1: yeah, I guess it's that time. Let's just do it. Let's see how we see how, let, let's full screen
0: share this bad boy. There we go. Uh, all right, here we go. Ultimate Lawrence. Oh, crap. <laughs> okay, so here we go. Um, you have three offers. Uh, <laughs> so, first of all, Pinay Sewell's on the board as this, as the draft fell out here. Um, Trevor Lawrence went number one. Justin Fields went number two. Jamar Chase went number three. And also Zach Wilson, the quarterback, did not go there either. So Jalen Waddell and um, all of that. Uh, some other interesting names here. So, do if you are so the Cincinnati Bengals, we'll scroll through these here. The Steelers, which I highly doubt they would trade with the Bengals, but pick 24, pick 55, pick 87, and a first-rounder, next year would you do that trade john
1: well i think it's they're not doing this for Panay Sewell. they're doing it for zach wilson i would guess or maybe trey lance um that's that's a lot um like i think the value is there because that's four picks and a a future first but are we really going to start our mock draft segment by giving pittsburgh (laughs) the quarterback of the future (laughs) i don't don't think so (laughs) okay
0: uh so the next one and the other the other one with this by the way, yeah, I mean that's a far way to fall. Um going to 24. That's true. I mean that's a that's a far way to 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 fall. So who knows who would be there then. But that is an intriguing offer especially with the first rounder next year too. But yeah, to your point, that would be for sure. you don't want to give them their quarterback of the future and and just gift wrap that one for them. Uh the Chargers you get a first rounder next year and then a, a you know, a late pick and you move to pit back to pick 13. I would not be surprised if that would be for Panay Sewell as well. Um, mm-hmm. So what do you think on that one? I'm, I'm inclined to decline that one.
1: Yeah, I, I would be intrigued if I got something more for this year. So, yeah, next.
0: Uh, and then you've got the Washington football team. You get a second round a second round pick. Um, I believe 74. Is that a? It's a third. Yeah, it's a third rounder. Then you get a second rounder next year, fourth rounder next year. What do you think of that one? That's another haul.
1: Like all the, all, I mean, they're all hauls. But like, you know, for the, for the sake of simplicity, let's just let's just go pick the, the guy we know we're going to pick here. All right.
0: <laughs> um, I don't. Why is this not letting me reject that? Uh, all right. Well, here we go. We're gonna. I, I assume we're going. Yeah. yeah. All right. <laughs> So they have Waddle going to the Eagles. Rashawn Slater, another guy that the uh, a lot of Bengals fans are a fan of, is uh, slated to go number eight. Gosh, this is annoying how it does that. Eight to the uh, who was it? They had them.
1: The Panthers. Panthers.
0: The Panthers. Gosh, keeps flashing there. Annoying. Uh, Christian Barmore. He had a he had a great game. Um, for Alabama yeah. in the national championship, the interior I, defensive lineman.
1: Ooh, I see some good players on the board.
0: Yeah. So this is, this to me is a no, this, this draft, um, or yeah, you're this right now, the trade. second,
1: but this yeah. one. So yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And then the next one is, yeah, I mean, that's, that's no, uh, that's trash. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So, the names Olave is really interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Um, just a, a smooth. He kind of just in looking at him a little bit. There's a little bit of uh, maybe a little Tyler Boydish to his game. Um, just a, a kind of a kind of a good route runner and good hands. I, li- I like what I've seen there. Kadarius Tony, um, another guy who's a wide receiver. You could also double up on the on the uh, offensive tackles here with Leatherwood. You can go Tyson Campbell out of Georgia. Jay Tufele is a really interesting guy. A very good player out of defense uh, out of USC. Um, did not play this year. He opted out. But the year prior, he is he was a guy that that was a pretty good uh, player. And you can actually move him around on the defensive line a bit. So he's he's a, a fun player. And then there's Basham from Wake Forest. Any others? Um, you want you want to do Najee Harris?
1: <laughs> I mean, pff, God, he was he's so good, but. I think he is. Yeah. Like th- th- this is like the last part of the sim where I'm not going to be talking out of my butt because I just don't know guys at <laughs> the top 50 probably, but I I've seen and read a lot about Jalen Phillips, the edge out of Miami. I, I think a lot of people consider him to be the best true edge rusher in this class. Uh-huh. I guess he's just uh-huh. at this part of the cycle, he's uh, available or he's just in out of the top 30. So he would be someone that I would sincerely consider here, um, especially with, how lackluster their edges are right now. So I think for me, it would be between either Phillips or Olave. And like, I guess Leatherwood would get consideration, but it would just depend on if you see him as a guard, because if you have Sewell, you have Jonah and Sewell there as your bookends. So I think for me, it would probably be between Olave and Phillips here.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm inclined to go with you with, with the edge. I think the Bengals, I mean, wide receiver is a need for this. By the way, I wanted I meant to preface this. We're going into this, Without as as we sit here in January, no free agency at this point, no moves. We're going with what they need, what they have right now. So we're not saying, you know, oh, they got this guy in free agency or whatever. We're, we're going at this moment in time. So that's kind of how we're playing this thing. Um, I, I tend to agree with you. I think Jalen Phillips, uh, that was a guy I meant to m- mention as well. Very talented guy, and I think the Bengals need edge help. Even if it's rotational, they need some edge help, and we don't know what's going to happen with Carl Lawson as well. So um, I, I think we'll go that route if you're good with that.
1: I'm perfectly fine with that.
0: All right, so we're, we're keeping it going here. Uh, Dylan Moses, the linebacker, uh, went to the Broncos at 40, to Fele, Lions at 41, Basham to the Raiders at 44, Harris to Jacksonville, Olave's off the board, Leatherwood's off the board. Uh, Mac Jones at 52 to Chicago. That's an interesting one.
1: Oh, Creed Humphrey. Just went yep. to the Chargers. Yep.
0: All right. So oh this will be our this will be our last pick um, for the Bengals in our first mock draft. Oh boy, here we go already. Trade, trade, trade. Uh, I'm, I'm not a fan of that. Are yeah, you I mean, nah. Okay. All right. Um, I mean, I, I hope the Bengals do maybe do some trades there. Okay. So one of the guys I really like, Amon Ross St. Brown, a wide receiver. I would have liked to
1: another USC guy. What is I
0: know, guy? I know, but he's, he's a guy that can give you a little special teams value too. He's a, he's, a, he's another kind of interesting player, but uh, you've got Sean Wade. There is talk that he may be going back to school and he did not have, a, Yeah, he
1: probably you know, needs to.
0: Yeah. He did not have a good last couple of games here. Um, I don't think the Bengals need to go heavy in linebacker this year. Uh, based on them getting three last year, Deontay Brown is another guy that's getting a lot of run. He's he's the gigantic guy for mm-hmm. uh, for Alabama, um, just an absolute just monster of a human being. Moves people. Um, that is very interesting to me. You've got Newsom, the cornerback out of out of Northwestern. Um, and Tylen Wallace, a guy that's, that a lot of people have been talking about, wide receiver out of Oklahoma State, left on the board. What do you think? Are you, am I missing anybody that sticks out to you here?
1: Yeah, like I would be intrigued uh, with a wide receiver, but seeing that, I guess there's not one aside from Wallace that may be worth this pick. Uh, I, I, As far as what offensive lineman that Frank Pollock will like, I think he will fall in love with Landon Dickerson, the center from Alabama. I mean – you know for a fact that guy loves football and that's that was Pollock's number one qualifier um, in in both of his introductory uh conferences with the Bengals in both times he was hired I think it it is a fair statement that they need to look at long-term options at center Trey Hopkins has like one or two years left and he's coming off of torn ACL you have Billy Price in the last year of his contract they can't they can't not afford to like look at the position at least somewhat and I think Dickerson is probably the best center in this draft and He's just somebody that I think Pollock would fall in love with. So if I had the choice, I would probably go Dickerson here.
0: Okay. Best guy on the board. I'm I'm good with that. I was I was leaning towards uh Deontay Brown myself, based on based on who's here. Maybe also Radun- a
1: Mammoth, you know.
0: <laughs> yeah, maybe Redunes there. Dil- uh Dylan Redunes at a uh North Dakota State, but um, the one guy, by the way, one named to just another SC guy, Talanoa Hufanga, he's a guy that can kind of play a, a rover type of role. He, he kind of plays a little hybrid linebacker safety role for the Trojans. Really, really active, fun player to watch too. Um, so uh, I, don't, I don't think the Bengals need that necessarily as much as they would need an offensive uh, offensive lineman, particularly center. It's a good point with Trey Hopkins rehabbing, who knows since he's suffered that so late in the season, who knows if he's going to be back, um, you know, at the early part of the season. And he was basically their best offensive lineman throughout the year. So I will, I will go with you on that. I will, I will say Landon Dickerson. Um, I would have maybe also gone with the the big boy um, from Alabama, but those are our first three picks. We'll, we'll, recap it in just a second once this is done, but essentially we got Panay Sewell, the edge out of Miami in the second round, um, and then a center from Alabama here. Oh, 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 There we go, right there. Panay Sewell, uh, tackle out of Oregon, Jalen Phillips, the edge out of Miami, and the center out of Alabama, Landon Dickerson. That's what we did with the first three picks based on who was available. Look, it's not out of the realm of possibility too, John, that everybody says Sewell's not going to be there. Sewell's not going to be there. Sewell's not going to be there. Every every year, there are guys that end up falling. We know that. And, um, you know, it's it, 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 he very well could not be there. But I think there is a, a possibility that he will be there, especially for a guy that didn't play last year. That may scare some teams off. I don't know. But I don't think we should automatically assume he's gone.
1: Yeah. Um, and it's a moccasin. Obviously, it's going to be good, especially in January. But I think, you know, regardless of what they do for agency, if the Bengals can only do one thing this offseason, it's make sure that they have confidence in the five starters in front of Joe Burrow. And regardless of who they go out and sign and what areas of the team they decide to address, they need to make that the one thing that they for sure do. And regardless of what they do end up doing, like if they draft Dickerson and Sewell, they're going to be in good shape. So, I mean, this would obviously be a monumental win for them.
0: I, I think so too. And I I think, you know, as exciting I've said this a couple of times, as exciting as last year's draft was when you got your franchise quarterback, you got an exciting wide receiver, you got some linebackers that have a lot of, you know, active uh active backgrounds and you know, very, very productive backgrounds and those guys ended up I think we talked about it, John. I mean, the Bengals ended up having the number one ranked rookie class by PFF metrics in terms of uh, from top to bottom. So, you know, they they kind of had the fun players last year for the most part. I think this year is going to be, you know, a lot of line, offensive line, defensive line, edge, um, maybe not the sexiest positions. But, you know, uh, it all depends on what happens in free agency. But I would not be surprised to – I don't want to call it boring, but if the Bengals kind of go – offensive line, defensive line, maybe not the headliner names um, as comparative to last year's class.
1: Yeah, it's it's you you can see in the direction at the beginning. They fired the offen they didn't retain the offensive line coach. They didn't retain the defensive line coach. That's their two biggest areas of weaknesses and that's probably where they're gonna invest the most. So regardless of what they do in free agency, we expect a draft kind of similar to that.
0: I would I would expect that for sure. And I think those three picks would be pretty pretty solid. Let's drop the mic and get on out of here. We did our first mock draft, just three rounds this time. We're going to do more and and full seven rounds later in the offseason. We're going to be doing some free agency profiles, some draft profiles. We're going to continue the State Your Case segment. We're going to have some interviews. We're going to bring you a lot of different stuff. But, uh, John, let's drop the mic and get out of here for this episode. What do you have for us before we bounce on out?
1: Yeah, as I mentioned earlier in the program, um, today – uh, was I guess a busy day for a couple reasons, but it was also the one year anniversary of that faithful national championship with Joe Burrow leading LSU. Uh, I saw like LSU's um Twitter like retweeted the uh like that that, that hype championship uh, locker room celebration video with get the gad in the background. It was, it was it was it was nostalgic. It was I don't know, it was just it was just cool seeing you know Burrow back in front of the Bengals logo in, in the press conference and. Talking about 2021, it's I guess it's just you know kind of how the off season goes. You go through this initial period of you know what are they doing, and then kind of bring you back with some little, little glimpses, glimmers of hope. So it's not going to be as I guess um, you know anticipatory in terms of what the off is going to bring. But you know it was kind of comforting seeing the franchise quarterback quarterback back where he belongs. And I guess on a day like today of, of all days, it was. It's just a nice start to what hopes hopes to be a good off season.
0: What do you think? There there are some people that are that have been asking, at least on Twitter, just quick uh, 20, 2021 Alabama versus I, I guess twenty twenty Alabama versus twenty nineteen LSU. I thought it was a pretty evenly matched mm-hmm. game. I mean, last year with Clemson and LSU, but if you had if you had to take one of those two teams, um, who would you who would you pick?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Like, I think a lot of the the advanced metrics will point to Alabama as because they went up against an all-SEC schedule and they just dominated in a way that they've never really done before. But these teams literally played each other in 2019, and we saw Joe Burrow, you know, um, command that. Like, Mac Jones has been getting some minor comps to Burrow, but, like, the differences between those two and just how they attack this tight window and, like, NFL-type throws, it was, by and large, an advantage to Burrow. So, like like these two played against each other, or these two teams played against each other, and we saw a better quarterback come out on top. And I think overall just the, the, the better put together team, maybe like that like LSU just clicked. Everything about it was just was just right. And I don't know if it was a team of destiny because they just obviously were just so talented and like they deserved to be there, but I think everything just kind of fell into place. And that ignores the fact that they had like five first round picks and a lot of yeah. other guys, you know, end up going into the into the draft that year. So that team was stacked in a way that it just feels more dominant than I guess what this Alabama team was. And I guess if it comes down to burrow versus Mac Jones, I'm I'm taking the team with burrow.
0: Yeah, I think I would too. I mean, it amazes me how Alabama, you know, you lose a guy. I mean, Devontae Smith left that, left that game. You still got, you know, Jalen Waddell, who was, you know, kind of hobbling around a little bit, but I mean, you know, Najee Harris, I I think the kid behind him, Robinson came in and he was productive. I mean, it was just next guy up, next guy ups a star, next guy ups a star. We're talking about the Alabama offensive line, the center, the guard and their, uh, their tackle Leatherwood are all top prospects. I mean, they just keep pumping out the so it's hard to it's hard to pick against them but that that lsu team last year was was very special quarterback most definitely included it they were they had a lot of good players at a lot of different spots as well um i, I would say their offensive line probably is not was not as good as a, a normal alabama offensive line but um the quarterback i believe was superior um you know they had a lot of wide receiver options and and pass catching options as well their running back was very good in Edwards Hilaire. so i i would give the slight edge to lsu maybe that's just me putting my homer cap on though
1: No, i i totally get the sentiment it just seemed like there there was not a there was no weakness like true weakness on the lsu team whereas and i guess there wasn't with alabama but it, it just it it just felt different for some reason like, maybe it's because like we just look at alabama it's just that's just this like terminator machine that just keeps going forward regardless of the turnover and with the coaches have in the roster. But it was so f- refreshing to see LSU kind of ascend to that point that maybe we just glorify what they really were. But at the end of the day, like like the talent was there and everything just clicks. So it, it's just hard to bet against that.
0: Yeah. I, I don't have much for my mic drop this week. I guess there's, there's one thing. There's a, a cool little um, Facebook group that I've been invited to for those who kind of want to nerd out on um, – And I don't do much on Facebook personally, aside from this show and and whatnot, at least not personal, like for my own personal page, I don't do a lot on Facebook, but, um, one of the gifts I got my, my son for Christmas this year, I kind of made him, he's a really young kid, so I don't know how, how, uh much you'll appreciate it but i kind of made a a binder full of a lot of sports cards number one because there's so many valuable cards out in this this year and the card market was just wacky because of everything happening this year and the demand for cards and all that and number two my first very first job was at a sports card shop i was into the hobby when i was a little kid so i just kind of tried to create a, a fun little you know instead of buying them all this different stuff at stores i tried to create and make something for them and there's this one particular group it's called sports cards collectors club s c c c it's a it gives you the ability to buy packs online and cards online people sell cards so you know if you're looking for individual borough cards or whatever it's it's run by this guy named matt moon um and he's he's kind of been a a really really nice guy about things and uh makes it entertaining so uh if, if you want request to join that group i think it is a private group but um you know it's it's a good group and uh, kind of fun if you're into collecting sports cards having trouble finding them at some stores these guys usually have some cool stuff whether it's football basketball baseball that sort of thing um so kind of i like i like to shout some people out give them some opportunity to to get some exposure and um yeah just kind of a little thing and that's one of the one of the things i use to get some of these cards for my for my son i got him a pretty good little collection john i was i was uh, i'm 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 tempted to take it for myself i'm I'm kidding I'm not but uh i was i was pretty pretty amped up by some of the stuff I got for him
1: that's that's cool man especially you know, i I know my dad loved the fact that I loved golf as much as he did so uh, i think it's i th- i just think it's cool when you know you can pass down i guess pastimes to the next generation and just kind of have that bond so I'm, I'm happy for you man ah
0: thanks well, everybody take it easy. Hope you enjoyed the show. We'll be back soon with more content for you. Keep it to CincyJungle.com for all your news, updates, analysis, opinions on the Cincinnati Bengals. Keep it to our podcast channel, whether it's our show, whether it's Matt Minnick's Chalk Talk or Orange is the New Black with Ace and Zim. Check out all the stuff we're pumping out for you. We appreciate the support. Have a good rest of your week. And see you soon.